electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the big battle for your money as the Dow nears 30,000. That milestone raising the question of which stocks will work best in the months ahead. We debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link, John Nigerian, and as Carl said, CNBC's Jim Cramer. He is, of course, the host of Mad Money. Let's take a look at stocks first, as we always do. Watching the Dow, of course, about 100 or so points away, a little more than that now from Dow 30,000 materials, industrials hitting new intraday highs today. The small caps doing pretty well. There's the Russell 2000 at the far right hand side of your screen. Jim, it's good to see you again. Glad to have you with us. I want to know sort of where you think this is where we are now. You've got great vaccine news and it's consistently great. We're not that far from 30,000. The landscape for investors right now is what, you think? Well, what's amazing is we're at this moment where on either day we have headwind, tailwind. But what matters is each day you can make a tailwind case. I can make a tailwind case that right now you got to buy the airlines. Right now, once this, uh, the, uh, <laughs> this incredible Norwegian cruise deal is done, you want to buy that group. I can make a case that you need to buy the stay-at-homes. I can make a case that you got to buy the deep cyclicals. I can make a case that you got to buy the technology stocks. This is what we've looked for. And that's why I came in gunning for the Armageddonists. There's a fantastic piece put out by Michael Semblis, my favorite strategist, J.P. Morgan. Yep. That COVID did not rescue the Armageddonists from underperformance and purgatory. It's time to call them out. And I'm asking all the panelists, to call out the people who said it was the end of the world. Call them out. <laughs> well, we've gotten great vaccine news. We could see the light at the end of the tunnel. But it sounds to me like you're saying you can still buy the Kramer COVID index. They're and I can good. still buy the Kramer Go stock. There's still an, that's what I'm that's exactly what I'm saying. The, the idea that it's a, it's a false dichotomy. I've got plenty of cloud stocks that are working incredibly well because people recognize that the cloud is still the answer. Listen, Bill Gates this morning talked about how people aren't going to go back on planes. A lot of these companies are about that. A lot of these companies have become ingrained in the American way of life. And I think they're not going to go out. And then I've got to take, you know, what my, the only theory that right now I think could really hurt the market is one that Graham Allison proposed in a really interesting article in the in uh, Atlantic in July that Trump may not relinquish power. Well, you were talking about that earlier that this morning. Do, do you really think that that's a, a risk that investors need to consider? Well, does does he impress you as someone who thinks that there's such a thing as the hook? Have no. you read his tweets? I have. <laughs> I mean. 
I have to tell you, if I were Biden, I mean, I, I would say I need a recount. I think I'm losing. I mean, but can anyone, anyone of you people, can, can you create a scenario where President Trump says, shakes Biden's hand and says, good luck. No. I think it'll be great. No. No, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to leave office. Why? Just because those norms are not going to take place. Look, I'm trying to play devil's advocate with you. I think I the don't market. Know. Well, you think we've never I mean, Hayes Tilton? I think um, the, I think the market. Steph has been too complacent about this whole issue. Like, like Jim, we, we've been talking about it on this show. It's like the you have two universes. You you have a universe in which <laughs> Biden was elected president, and another universe where the current president doesn't think that he lost. And the market has been able to brush past all of that until when, Steph? This, well, this is 2020. This is what we're living through, right? But I actually would argue, I'm not even sure what's uh, important in terms of the presidency. It's more important of Congress. And if Congress is a mix, and it looks like it's going to be, but that is the key to me because a mix means gridlock. And as an investor, I want gridlock. I don't want massive policy shifts either way. So I have to back and say this market has been resilient. But you know why? Because slowly but surely, visibility is improving. Yes, progress on the vaccines, for sure. Also on the economy, you know I always list a couple of data points. Today we got single family uh, starts, the best since 2007. Yesterday, NHB was the best on record. Retail sales, definitely a little slower, but up six straight months in a row. So that is progress on the economy and providing better visibility on earnings. And then, oh, on earnings, 85% of the companies just beat earnings. And after talking to several CEOs, they sound more confident. And they sounded so much more confident that they're doing M&A at record paces. Record M&A in October was up 100% mm-hmm. year over year. So clarity is good for risk assets, good as- risk assets, and more cyclicals, I think, than the stay-at-homes, only because the valuations are still so depressed. So full disclosure, um, Jim, I fully expected when we were going to have this conversation that you may suggest that the Kramer COVID index was about to go on the shelf because the vaccine news is fabulous. Yes, we have to get across the bridge, so to speak, from here to there. But maybe it is time to start looking at those reopen stocks in in large amounts. There's two components to the index, which is up 40 percent, trumping everything. There's the stay at home. okay, and then there's the work at home. And I think they're very different. I think that when we get a vaccine, we will still we will go out and about, but we're going to buy cars. Steph loves cars. I know she loves cars. We are going to be building <laughs> new places, uh, new homes. That's nothing's changed there. Many of the of the covid index are about let's put them as derivatives of Zoom or trade desk or Roku. I mean, we're going to hang out. We are not going back to the way that we used to be. And I got to tell you, you guys all know. Judge. It's cheaper for companies to not have them come back and to not go away and to not have the three martini lunches and get on a plane and stay at luxury places four seasons where it's really fabulous and I love it. That's over. Well, then then John Nigerian, there are things like Zoom, which are going to stay in vogue. There are Pelotons and crowd strikes, Teladocs. And some of these other things that have just become a way of life are not going to disappear just because you have a vaccine and you get a shot in the arm. Is that right? Do you agree with that? 
We'll come back to John. See, he Joe. does it. <laughs> All right, we've got to work on John's audio, which seems like it's, a, I don't know, almost an everyday problem. Joe Terranova, take, the, take that same question, please. Well, I think you left out one name, and that's DocuSign. And well, it's I, a I name know. That I could have gone down the I list. Think... I stopped. I, I stopped. But well, I, your point's well, well taken. No, no, no but, but there's a reason I mentioned DocuSign, because I think DocuSign is an example of what I would call an emerging growth stock that's not going away. There's been this paradigm shift in 2020, and now the realization is, is there's incredible scalable value in DocuSign. So that's not going away, even though we could classify it as an emerging growth type of stock. So I think there are select stocks that will stay with us for the duration that you could still own. But look, I think you know, what Jim and Steph are talking about is this broadening out in the market. If you study the S&P 500, Scott, 90% of the S&P stocks right now are above their 200-day moving average. We have not seen that kind of broadening out strength since 2014. The mood of the market in the last several days seems to be much calmer. Volatility continues to decline. And I think what we're seeing is a representation that it does not have to be binary. It does not have to be all growth or all value that can be a blend to both. Yes, false dichotomy. That's right. And that's what is bugging me, is that I think people say, you know what? It can't be growth and value at the same time. That's just not true. Sometimes you're in a pangloss moment. You have all these new buyers. You've got these people. Let's call them Robin Hood, okay? They like things. They are going to be buyers of Boeing. Now, we all knew that Boeing was going to get approved, right? But no, they're like, wow, Boeing. I got to go buy Boeing. They, they just kind of like <laughs> the thing, too. Oh, don't like, come on, that's what they do. But, Jim. What? Jim. Yes. I think <laughs> there's a big difference between cyclicals and value stocks. I really do. Cyclicals means you're going to benefit from the economy improving, reopening, getting better. And these companies have cut costs so dramatically, the operating leverage is enormous. That's not to say I don't want to own secular technology stocks, because we've talked about this endlessly. You and I email all the time about total addressable markets and wanting to have exposure. But cyclicals are a little bit different than value. Some of them are in the value sectors, but cyclicals are the ones that you want to own if you think the economy is going to recover and profits are going to recover. I'm not going to disagree. I mean, look, someone downgraded Honeywell. I know it's got short and long cycles. Someone downgraded Honeywell no. today. Like, why? What is the point of that? But I, no do way. you know that on October 12th, <laughs> I recommended Ford versus GM. It's kind of like Ford versus, Ferrari, Ford versus GE on a race to, to, to 10. Okay? Race to 10. They were at 7. <laughs> look at those two stocks. Mm-hmm. Ford and GE. Those are the two biggest Robin Hood names. How smart are those people? John Ajarian, can you can you, uh, you hear us? Let's see if we can hear you. I hear you loud and clear, Scott. Okay. Yep. Welcome um, to the conversation. Scott, to well, thank you, sir. <laughs> um, you, your your question to me earlier was, you know, the COVID stocks and Jim's uh, two different playlists here, and certainly Zoom and a lot of those companies are going to do extraordinarily well. Still, that doesn't mean their stocks will do as well, Scott. And it's exactly what Jenny Harrington was saying the other day. I mean, it's like Kleenex. It's like Xerox. Some of these things become, you know, the moniker for an entire industry. Zoom has certainly done that, Scott. But can I say that that valuation deserves uh, 
the, the, the sort of endorsement that it got during the COVID shutdown. No, I can't. And so for that reason, I think the company continues to do well and they innovate. But I think the valuation comes in line with more of the rest of the market, Scott. And as that happens, well, forgetting about just putting aside the, the competition from Google and Microsoft and all the rest, uh, log me in and all the rest, I think you're going to see the valuations come down, even though the companies do very well. Some of, some of them already have. Um, Jim, you have Teladoc yes. on tonight. Teladoc, yes, do. Teladoc's down 20% in a month. Well, I Zoom's do. down 30. Well, look, Zoom was at 50 times sales, okay? Uh, there, there are some stocks that got overheated, and I know that's absolutely true, uh, like John says, but there are yep. other companies like Teladoc that are resting. And now a lot of people feel that there's too many companies that are in the Teladoc business. But remember, they also, you know, they're not just that anymore. They're also how to beat diabetes, how to cope with diabetes, how to cope with hypertension. They have done a lot to be able to make them FinMed. Steph, FinTech, never quit. How about FinMed? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously the trend is there. And again, total addressable market, they're, they're huge. And I agree there's room for all of the players for sure. But there are, valuations are, are, are pretty high. And it's, you know, you have to either stick with them, stay patient, own them for the long haul, um, or be prudent, like you taught me, trim a little bit here. And then when they do pull back, you know, then you can, can kind of reload, if you will. But I do think, yes, I mean, med tech, yeah. thin te med, um, anything healthcare at this point to me is also very, very attractive. Let me, yeah, I Oh, the most cost is work. How about the, the cheapest in 30 years? I mean, yesterday we had just the bottom fall out because of a uh, of, uh, uh, pill pack. And is anyone here willing to step up and say that Walgreens, CVS, or even uh, GoodRx are buys? Anybody? With a little hand? Well, anybody? It's, it's I don't see anybody it's, it's raising their hand. Multiples. Raise However, you know who Jim is, is, is standing up and saying that healthcare is a, a really good buy? right now, but besides Costin and, and you, as you look at these stocks, is Warren Buffett and the guys at Berkshire Hathaway, because they bought the drug stocks, Pfizer and Merck and AbbVie and some of these other names. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head which exactly the, the ones they, they were. But what about healthcare, Jim, I as a space to look at right now? I have to go with these valuations. I remember when uh, Bill Clinton went to Rahway, right next to Dr. Vagelos, who's the unbelievable CEO of St. Merck and decided that St. Merck was worth, was worth a lot less, and that whole industry was going to be just crushed. We are in a period where people think this industry is going to be crushed. I mean, I'm looking at McKesson. I mean, yesterday, uh, they took apart McKesson. It's in nine times earnings now. But McKesson's distributing the vaccine. Uh, McKesson's integral to the healthcare system. I don't think that that's a mistake to, to, to buy. I, I think that's a really interesting stock, and I, I think that it's hated. I think that a lot of healthcare is hated, but look at United Health. See that thing go up yesterday when it's so hated? I want hated. I like hated. Joe? Completely agree. Technology is coming for healthcare in terms of disruption. It's the next sector in which you will see price transparency, which is clearly missing in the sector. Day like today, Thermo Fisher. It's down significantly. I think it's now $15 as I look at it right now pressing towards its 50-day uh, moving average, I'd step in, I'd buy it there, and I just might do it myself later on in the day. But I agree with Jim. I think healthcare provides a tremendous opportunity when looking at both the growth and value. I think the healthcare story, unfortunately, 
was misplaced earlier in the year. It was all about biotechs. There's way more to the healthcare story than that. And that, along with the industrial sector, I think is going to benefit from technology. John Najarian, you have any action? I agree. Yeah, I'm coming to you anyway. So tell me. All right. Well, uh, and uh, the largest maker of vaccines in the world, Scott, isn't any of the names that we've talked about. It's not Pfizer. It's not Moderna. It's, of course, GlaxoSmithKline. And uh, when you've got GSK that makes uh, that puts together more of these vaccines than anyone, um, that is where the really, you know, where the rubber meets the road. The creation of the vaccine, my hat's off to them. We're all rooting for it. But then it's the delivery of it and so forth. And these are the kinds of companies, GlaxoSmithKline, Sanofi. These are the guys that actually get it out there, Scott, um, in the sorts of doses that are in the, if you need a booster shot, 30 billion doses. Because we're talking, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 billion folks are going to need this. And then they're going to need that second booster shot and so forth and so forth to carry them on, Scott. I think those are stocks that have not been talked about enough. um, And they deserve some as well. Like Joe said, not just the biotechs. Mm -hmm. Some of these big pharmas are the ones that really do the heavy lifting here, Scott. Jim, I want to get back to something that Steph said um, earlier. It's sort of, you know, as we, we have this conversation about the transition and how messy it feels right, right now and how messy it could still become. There's, you know, there are several weeks between now and January the 20th, obviously. Yes. Let's assume, just for this conversation's sake, that the transition happens, okay? That we have a transition. Yeah. <laughs> so I know how far-fetched that seems wow. to be to have a conversation oh, about that. And then you get back to what is described by many a Goldilocks-like scenario for stocks, where you've got a President Biden, you have what may be a Republican Senate, depending on how the runoffs in Georgia go at the beginning of January. You have, under that scenario, you have no tax hikes, the likes of which Biden was talking about. You have spending, but not huge, the likes of which Biden was talking about. So you don't have rates going crazy, right? You've got the Fed all Mm -hmm. in. You've got the vaccine coming down the pike. Uh, That's great for stocks, is it not? I mean, the only thing you're missing is a stimulus package, which is driving us both nuts. I do think that right, there, right now. the only thing that I would, po- that, first of all, I agree with that scenario. The question is, are we anticipating that scenario? Uh, it is so much of that in the market. And I would say when you see stocks go down that reported great numbers like Walmart and Home Depot, you're already getting a chance to be able to buy them again. Why? Because those, are presu- those declines are presuming that the comparisons next year are going to be too hard. And I don't think so. I think a lot of these companies, just like Brian Cornell said today, they have picked up a, just a giant amount of allegiance. Uh, I do think that these companies have wiped out a lot of smaller companies because there's no stimulus. I really hate to say this, but I think that Congress has doomed so many companies. The president has doomed so many companies. So when you, you're going to get Wal- Walmart, it's Amazon, it's Target, it's Costco, it's Home Depot. I still think Lowe's. I don't think Lowe's is a sale here. But that's who won. That, that's who won. And whether we think that's fair or not, that's who won when, the, when Congress and the president doomed all of the small and medium-sized businesses that cannot, don't have credit lines and can't keep up. They're the empty storefronts of the country. And I think that that is just a terrible thing, but it has nothing to do with the stock market. No, it, it, it's shameful. But, Jim, you know what? It's, you it's know what? shameful. The, the, the lack of thing- stimulus oh. is, is shameful. 
Jamie Dimon today cites in his conversation with Andrew Ross Sorkin at DealBook, uh, quote unquote, childish behavior on the part of politicians. Um, you know, it's shameful. I don't know how else to put it. Steph? No. He's not afraid, Jamie. He doesn't play for dinner. Tells the truth. Steph. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. Scott, I, 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 hang I, it's on, incredibly hang on. frustrating. Steph, go ahead. Uh, in ter- oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's incredibly frustrating with regards to not getting a fiscal package. I, I still think we will get one, um, and we just don't know the size, and we just don't know exactly the timing. But I agree with you. It is shameful for sure. But I wanted to just to say one thing about what Jim just said about the winners. It, there's also a coincidence about the winners, Jim, and you know this just as well as I. They have invested heavily, aggressively, not only in this past year, but in the last five to seven years. And they took it on the chin. Just think about a year ago what Brian Cornell had to do in terms of he had to slash, I mean, slash costs and change their mix and make changes and get the right products in the stores. And that goes um, that goes to all the companies that you talked about, the ones that you mentioned. And so that's why, yes, this is a terrible, terrible environment for the smaller players. But the big guys stepped up. And that's why they are doing so well, because they are actually now able to outperform in profits, in sales, in margins and in market share. You're totally right. I visited with Brian Cornell, a, uh, a beautiful store on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn, in what many people regard as a tough neighborhood. And it was booming because he chose to be bold. He was bold everywhere, bold with yeah. small formats. Remember when people said, you can't do all those small formats? Well, he pulled that off, too. So that works. Then we're not even talking 5G. 5G works, which is why DuPont can be a good stock. DuPont has got a lot of 5G. We have so many secular themes that are terrific, that I just can't write this market off after this big run. And I am not going to be like one of these Armageddonists. Holy cow. I'm not going to name any of them. Because one time I was on, um, I was on the judges' show and I named them, and I'm not doing that this time. Because <laughs> I, am, I am ten bears and I come in peace. <laughs> Look, you, you raise an interesting hey. point, um, John. Jim, Jim does. It's kind of hard to be negative given the reasons that I laid out and what Pfizer and Moderna have, have told us over the last 10 days. Um, you know, yes. I, I, there's so much optimism around that. I, but then it's like the economy and the, the, the issues that Jim raises about lack of stimulus, it's why you can be positive the market and then negative on the economy right. and the heartbreaking side of this pandemic, which continues to impact and affect so many millions of people. Exactly right, Scott. And, uh, you know, we're we're going to see some sort of a stimulus. It is likely, unless Georgia flips, it is likely to be much smaller even than was offered in August, which is very sad. But nonetheless, um, you got to dance with what you got. Right, Scott? Um, The market you've got, not the market you wish for. So it could surprise us and be a larger stimulus. That would be great. When I look at some of Jim's winners here, and I look at uh, why they're so successful. He is right. The big invested, like Steph said, um, and are set up for this. But also, mm-hmm. they created new categories. They did it off of Amazon, really, because when uh, Walmart does, you know, basically adopts the equivalent of a Costco or a Sam's Club sort of thing for Walmart, except with delivery, and Target does the same thing, that makes those clients even stickier, Scott. And we knew that that was coming. We talked about it. And then last this week, they actually proved it. How many more digital sales did those guys get? They blew it out. And those are going to be the stickiest customers because 
they paid that annual fee. Just like when you go to Costco and pay that annual fee, you're going to go back there. And in the case of these, you don't have to go. They bring it to you. So they've made it so much easier. I think, Scott, that we're going to continue to see uh, that play out over the next weeks and months. And I think that uh, the surprise could be if the stimulus ends up being instead of like 500 billion or just shy of a trillion, maybe it's just nudging over a trillion. That's the surprise. We're not really anticipating anything in the two or three trillion range mm -hmm. like we would have had it been a blue wave. Jim, this whole conversation has me thinking about the, the banks and the fact that without stimulus, you've got all of these smaller businesses that are at risk of, of failing, right. which is a weight on the banks. You have, who knows, the possibility of bigger businesses getting into trouble, which is a weight on the banks. You have the prospects of an economic turnaround happening faster, maybe, you know, pushed down the road, which is not good for the banks. Rates stay low. The stock market can go up in that environment, but the banks cannot. That's right. Look, First Horizon is a fantastic bank based in Memphis, Tennessee. It's got an amazing banker CEO, Brian Jordan. They have just an incredible record. And it doesn't matter because people have decided they have bad loans. Now, they don't have to speak up. I have them on each quarter. They're really very conservative lender. They got a 4.8% yield. It doesn't matter. So that just gets left behind. It gets left behind. But I had a company on last night. Its symbol is Ride, okay? I, Lordstown Motors, all right? They have nothing. They have nothing, right? But they have hope. <laughs> and people, they do. They have hope. They have an interesting, uh, interesting pickup. And the younger people come in and they buy that. The younger people never seem to run out of money. The, uh, I have Robin Hood on tomorrow night. They're going to come public. They've got about 14 million people. And they buy things that are, they've researched them. And they say, you know what, this is the great new thing. And I don't know how you fight them. I don't know how you fight the specs and also fight the 5 Gers and fight the home builders, which, I, you know, have come down a lot and they could be attractive, and fight the uh, urban to suburban and fight the new ways that people do business, DocuSign Joe. I, there's, just, there's just a lot that works. And, Steph, you know, we've never seen something like this where there's just, I mean, now it's the oils, Steph. The oils. Ugh, no, I'm I know, I know. It's been pretty remarkable, the moves. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, look, there are parts of the economy that are really struggling. We've talked about it, right? Travel, leisure, hospitality, and they are in a world of hurt. And, yeah, okay, some of the banks are going to have exposure to those industries, and it's not going to be pretty. It's all the reason why we're talking about we need a fiscal stimulus right. to help these parts of the economy. But there are other parts of the economy that are doing quite well. You, you have mentioned it, housing, auto, several areas within manufacturing. Parts of the consumer are doing well. And, oh, by the way, they're saving at a record level, at 14% versus historical average at 5%. So the consumer has some spending power. So yes, banks are really hard to own, and I only own a few of them, and they yeah. are kind of special situations. Well, but wait, and, wait, 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 but Steph, you added to Morgan Stanley. You're adding to the banks yes, at the same time that a Warren Buffett is bailing on almost everything except for Bank of America, and your old pal Kramer, uh, you know, I don't hear him too optimistic these days about about the banks, regardless of who's running them, okay. regardless of what footprint they have, the environment has been horrible. Why are you adding to Morgan Stanley? 
Well, by, by the way, Morgan Stanley is up 16% in a year. That's nothing to sneeze at, right? And I like Morgan Stanley because Gorman's doing all the right things. He doesn't want to be dependent on a yield curve only. And so he's making acquisitions that are higher multiple businesses, Eaton Vance and the E-Trade. And that is the reason, their diversification is the reason that they grew revenue 17% in the quarter. So I like that story very much. And it's trading at 1.2 times book. It's not that expensive. So I like that. Again, that's a special situation in its own right. Wells Fargo is an absolutely special situation. It's a bet on Charlie Scharf, and he has all of his team in place right now. He's been there now a year. So now I think we're going to start to see some results. And there's all kinds of talk that they're going to have asset sales within asset management or investment management, or they're going to try to do things that are not core businesses to them, make the, sm make the bank smaller, more manageable. And I do think, by the way, he's kind of lo really low-balled, kitchen-sinked the, the, uh, the, all the numbers across the board. Okay. So I don't think much has to go right for Wells Fargo to work. But again, these are all special situations. I don't want to just go blanket owning banks. Okay. So... Jim, Steph makes that pitch to you. Joe, I'm going to come to you in a second. Steph makes that pitch to you, Jim, when you all were working together, and your response is what? Well, Morgan Stanley does have a special situation because <laughs> of the acquisition, and it does have a fintech quality. People don't realize all these acquisitions that Gorman has made in order to be able to make it so that younger people stay in. Uh, he's got a company. He has a division that allows you to be able to, to get all these, uh, these rich people from these IPOs to have a 401k with them. Uh, he has really done a lot of very quiet things that make it so that it's a little absurd that it's this low. Uh, so I, I can buy. I think that Morgan Stanley's fine. Uh, I don't understand a, a city. It, it is sort of a fraction of book value, and I'm not going to sit there and say, well, it's time to buy. I think Bank of Merz had a very big run. I'm not really interested in that. But um, uh, Goldman's intriguing. Chapel Trust owns Goldman, if only just because it, too, is around book value and has a lot of optionality. But I, I like Stephanie's call because Gorman is trying to make that so it's not just another bank. And he, too, is trying to be fintech, and he might be able to pull it off. He, no, he's not going to be PayPal. It's not going to be square. I mean, those stocks are sainted. But he's going to be something in between mm -hmm. that and City. Joe, when it comes to, you know, financials and bank-related stuff, you, you've been talking lately about um, oil financials, if you will, right? Well, that's, that, that's my way to get energy exposure. I own a Texas uh, bank, which has exposure, TCBI. Uh, within financials themselves, I 100% agree with, Stephanie on Morgan Stanley. It's a name I own. I'll see your Morgan Stanley. I'll raise you a Goldman Sachs, a T. Rowe Price, a BlackRock, a Meriprise. I think these are strategically the right plays to get exposure within the financial sector. Banks are just going to continue to struggle. Money center banks will be challenged by what you were discussing before, which is the absence of support for Main Street in the economy and by a yield curve that cannot seem to gain any form of momentum in steepening. Yeah, that's a great analysis. All right. Really is a great analysis. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. we got to do that. What? We'll come Did, back. I, I don't remember saying that was okay. I know. That's why I had to do it. Okay. Because <laughs> it was up to you. We wouldn't. We are going to talk about our call today. It is about Under Armour. You want to hear that? Get Jim and Steph's trade and the gang uh, coming up. Uh, unusual activity still to come. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A federal judge has blocked the deportation of unaccompanied children caught crossing the U.S. border illegally. The Trump administration said it had instituted the policy to limit the spread of coronavirus. The Trump campaign is paying $3 million for a vote recount in two Wisconsin counties that include the Democratic strongholds of Milwaukee and Madison. The U.S. has dropped drug trafficking and money laundering charges against former Mexican Defense Secretary Salvador Cienfuegos. His lawyer says Cienfuegos will be returned to Mexico today. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announcing new U.S. sanctions on Iran. President-elect Biden has said he intends to resume relations with Iran. You are up to date. That's the news update this hour. Scott, I'll send it back to you. And I appreciate that. Thank you, Sue. You got Sue it. Sue Herrera. All right. That bullish call on Under Armour. Let's talk about it. Upgraded to a buy at Argus. 20 bucks is the price target. Okay, so Stephanie Link, I begin with you. I got another set of numbers for you beyond the $20 price target. I got down 24.5% year to date compared to Nike's up 31.5% year to date. Are those the only numbers that really matter here? (laughs) Well... Uh, sort of. Um, it just it tells the story, right? I mean, Nike is actually executing. They have all the right products. They're growing digital like a weed, 82% versus 75% sequentially. And the p- imp- important part about digital is it carries 10% higher margins. So the more that they increase digital um, and online, which is 30%, going to 40% in the, in the coming years, that will help the bottom line and the operating leverage. Under Armour, look, there's a lot they can fix. And you know me, I love a turnaround story. But this one seems a bit hard, right? It just seems like, yes, they can improve on product. They can improve on cost cutting on their supply chains. And you know what? The new CEO has done a lot already and has improved a lot of things. And I do think there's margin upside. But I just feel like the jury is out on the product side, right? And when you have a competitor that is so large like Nike doing it all right, it sort of is easier just to own the one that's doing it all right. How do you counter that, Jim, if, if at all? Uh, Matt Boss had a super piece out about J.P. Morgan, uh, J.P. Morgan today about Nike, and Nike's direct to consumer. They're making a fortune. Uh, Nike's partners with the, the Chinese. They're going to do even better. Uh, Nike is, is just a juggernaut, and why I say that is, is that it's barely up today on that call. I would prefer that to Under Armour, but when Under Armour sold my Fitness Pal, which I really didn't like, and they got somehow they got three hundred thousand, three hundred million for it, I started thinking maybe they're going to do what's necessary and become. Lululemon for outside, okay? Because they do have, hmm. and one of the things that was amazing, and I, my hat's off to Kohl's, the existential crisis I'm taking off the table it was a decent quarter, but they often talk about you know, just kind of leisure wear. Why does Under Armour not double down on leisure wear, really start thinking about reducing the shoe footprint, and then I'd like it more? It's just, a, it's, it's a work in progress, whereas Nike is cheap if, China comes back on, and Eunice, you had such a piece this morning. You guys got to start getting up at 2.30 with me and Steph and, and, and working out and running seven miles like she does. <laughs> no. Because Eunice, you had a report today that was amazing. It's not, it's not only about how China's back to normal. Like, China's booming, okay? And the, it showed you Starbucks. Where you gotta China's just spend, spend. It, it's like the, it never happened. It's which, like the pandemic never happened. And that makes Nike incredibly undervalued. Which, which is why, Joe, you own Nike and Lulu. Ooh, 100%. It doesn't mean that Under Armour can't have a rally towards $20, but everything that Jim and Steph has spoken about, I agree with. And I'll add one more thing. When you look at S&P 500 companies and you identify for the consumer discretionary sector, 
the ESG stocks who are showing the greatest strength in the further adaptation of ESG. Number two is Home Depot, and guess who's number one? Nike. Think about ESG investing, and when you do that, you think about Nike. Yeah, there's Nike shares. Uh, we're watching it them right there. It used to be like that, but yeah. John Najarian, I know you wanted to say something. I saw you. Yeah, um, Scott, the, uh, thank you. The, uh, when, when Under Armour really broke into uh, the mainstream, it was because they had edgy commercials, Scott. They had great, the compression wear was great, but they had edgy commercials with big stars. Now, uh, with digital on that side, they are way behind. Uh, to Steph's point, 82% jump over at Nike. You know what it was at Under Armour? 30% mm-hmm. of their sales. So they've got to do something, Scott, to make their digital feel more like those original ads where it grabbed you and so forth because there's so many sites you can go to to buy athletic wear, and Nike continues to do a great job with theirs. Meanwhile, uh, Under Armour's just sort of watching everybody else and wondering what's going on, apparently. Yes, the stock's up from $8 in May to 16 but... I don't know how it breaks to the upside unless they can really address digital in a big way. It's, it's wow. really, it's, cool. it, you may, it's really interesting what you say, John. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And Jim, you know, it, it's almost like this was a moment in time stock. And it was the personification almost of edge. You had an edgy brand. You had the most edgy of CEOs and founders who was going to get right up in your face and tell you that they were going to beat Nike at Nike's own game. You had the commercials, as John said. You have athletes like Cam Newton at the height of their games, winning a national championship, wearing Under Armour. Steph Curry winning multiple NBA championships while endorsing those sneakers. It was a moment in time that feels like it's past. All during that period, as John said, Nike was spending on technology. When you go to the to yep. the Nike store on Fifth Avenue, which have not been since the pandemic, but no one was carrying a bag out. It was just the idea of visualizing. We all made our own shoes, and then you start seeing these stock X's where you know people are trading the, uh, LeBron's shoes. I mean, it, it became cult, but it also was technological. And yes, uh, you have to hope that Kevin Plank can get it together again. And they've got a terrific CEO uh, who I think is, Frisk is trying to do a good job, but. The technology spend must be made. Look at what happened with Lowe's and Home Depot before, before Marvin got into Lowe's. They spent nothing on technology. Home Depot spent a fortune on technology. So did Under Armour, though, right? No, they, they didn't bring it, in, I mean, look, John, John Donahue. I mean, look at what Nike's done. I mean, Park Parker was a technologist. The whole time he was building technology. Plus, he made a deal with the Ministry of Sports in China. I mean, he, that was a good call, wasn't it? It's just so interesting. I mean, Kevin Plank, yeah. he he foresaw what was what was happening with technology and and athletic apparel and, and things like that. They invested heavily in in tech, um, but tech apparel, but not tech. I know he's got Salesforce in there. If I were Tim, I'd just say I told Mark Benioff and I said, listen, whatever the heck you did with Adidas, just do it for us. I mean, I know that they have a good relationship, but, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, technologically, the product was good, but I'm not talking about technology, the product. I'm talking about the notion of direct-to-consumer, which has, those, as Steph, Steph, the margins, direct-to-consumer, as you said. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting to no, see direct-to-consumer. Yeah, I, no. I got it. Let me do this. Let me, let me, let me split. I got to take a break. What? Okay, guys? Well, we I gotta, just took a I break got like seven minutes okay. I, I know. 
It's unusual in its own right. It's it's unusual in its own right, but the real unusual activity is coming up next with John and Jerry. Who can tell a judge not what to do? CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. Unusual activity time. Doc, you got a bunch. Talk to me. Yeah, I'm going to make them fast, Scott. Nicola. NKLA, just like we've been saying about many of these uh, EVs overseas, this one getting a lot of love, Scott. The 24 calls that expire this week, the 25 calls that expire next week. Sonos, this one, Scott, we're in the April strike calls. Um, Because that's April, I'll probably be in them about two months. These are the April 20s. Lastly, I've got a third for you, and it is Virgin Galactic, SPCE. These are the DS 28s, a host of unusual activity in December. I'm in these and I'll be in these probably for two to three weeks. All right. Good stuff. Coming up, it is a big day for our Joe Terranova and his investing strategy. You want to invest in Joey T? You might have your chance. We'll do it next. Welcome back. Our very own Joe Terranova has created a new index for investors to track quality U.S. companies with positive technical momentum. And today, Virtus Investment Partners is launching an ETF to track that index under the ticker symbol Joe T. I thought it was going to be BHSH. You know what that stands for? Buy high, sell high. Buy high, sell high. But you went with Joe T. Congratulations, well, that- man. I know this is big news. You're so excited about it. Tell us about it. Well, and, and thank you for that. By the way, this does not help. Uh, this does not happen with, without you and Jim and Steph and all in the halftime universe. Um, so buy high, sell higher, basically identifying high conviction investment opportunities. And that's exactly what we're doing in the introduction here of a new strategy. There's this debate between growth and value. I'm not trying to offer a solution for that debate. I'm offering a compelling alternative in the capacity of a better index. So it's 125 large cap U.S. equity names equally weighted. They are initially screened by momentum, which is so incredibly important in capital markets right now because of the quantitative participation and then graded further by quality, return on equity, debt to equity, and annualized sales growth over the prior three years. And you've got 125 names that I truly believe will offer an opportunity for long-term investors to gain index exposure. Tech, the biggest weighting, as we see right there at 32%. Jim, I want your take on this. You've got holdings that, you know, tried and true names, Adobe and Amazon Apple, AMD, and on and on and on. Pretty good list. I like it. I like it because the S&P 500 is made up of a lot of losers that I don't want. I wish they were cold. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that. Uh, But Joe did it. He called the losers. I mean, it's like the Hunger Games. I mean, these are the ones that get to District 13 or whatever. And I find that what's happened is that we start the young people, the young people are going to go crazy for this. Why? Because they want to own the good stocks that are in the index. Now, yes. the late, uh, late Mr. Bogle would always say you can't really do that. 
I come back and go with a Peter Lynch view, which is that I bet you the younger people know most of the winners. I urge them to look at them. Don't be blind about it. But I've wanted an index like this ever since uh, the Prudential Beige had the, tr- the uh, thrice blast. Right, Steph? Oh, yeah. <laughs> thrice blast was actually a really great product because it was it, enca- it captured a lot of various different methods to look at stocks. So it was technical, quantitative, and fundamental. And they really, and now in, the, in this day and age, it's also ESG too. So you can kind of use all four of them. And the performance over time actually shows those kinds of stocks that have um, been checkmarked from these various different assets um, are actually outperformers over time. Terrific. And, and Joe, I'll give you the last word. Um, and you, you added two stocks recently, AbbVie and, and is it yes. Cintas? That you added to the index? Yes, and yes, and Scott, that's a, that's an excellent place to close this conversation because on October 30th, Abvi and Cintas went into the index, and a lot of uh, my personal portfolio re- will reflect what I'm seeing within the index. Both of those screen very highly on quality in recent quarters, and that's the reason why it elevated the in the in the index. It was included, and that's why I purchased both those names. All right. Proud moment for you. We're, uh, we're proud of you. Congratulations. Congrats. Joe Congratulations. T. Joe Thanks. T. Congratulations. Is the index to follow. We have more trades straight ahead as we go to break. Here are a few of the stocks hitting 52-week highs today. We talked Target, the earnings, Qualcomm, GM. We're back in two minutes. Time for the Futures Outlook. Bitcoin. Is hitting a three-year high today. Jeff Kilberg joins us now for the trade there. Well, just about 18,000. Judge, it's moving. We're seeing a surge. 18,000 equals about a $350 billion market cap. That's only $100 billion away from Visa. But what really changed? Why has it gone from 12,000 a month ago up to 18,000? It's because of PayPal. PayPal came out and said that their network of 350 million users can now utilize Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. That was the game changer, this widespread adoption. But what I'm looking at right now is price discovery. We've seen a wild ride today. We only have a handful of closes above 17,000. But I want to be a buyer here. I think we're going to go and retest those highs just three years ago that you talked about. So I'm buying it at 17,500, looking for a move higher to 18,500. But I'm being mindful, putting a stop in at 17,000 even. I'm risking 2,500 to make 5,000. But we are in price discovery mode, and you will see Bitcoin continue to move higher in a very volatile manner. Good stuff, Jeff Kilberg. Thank you. We take another break. We come back. We do final trades next. Jim. Mad Money, tonight, yeah, remember, tell we us. Remember, Teladoc, which merged with Livongo, and I'm telling you, that's going to be a med, med thin, or whatever you want to call it, tin thin, whatever. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's not going to be the usual med. And then one of my absolute favorite companies, Biohaven. This is an underlooked stock that also may have an, this is a migraine play, but it may have something for Alzheimer. And I, and I do not understand why people do not look at this stock. BHVN, look at the chart. Migraine and Alzheimer's? This is an amazing co- How does this stay independent? I do not know. We look forward to that program tonight. Before we do final trades, Jim, quickly, give me your uh, look for NVIDIA after the bell. You own it. Look, I think that NVIDIA is maybe Chen Sen Wang, maybe the great executive of our time. And I think that uh, sometimes it gets hit when, the, when they first report, wait for the call and then buy. All right. Wait for the call. That's the word from Jim Cramer. We'll come back around to you for final trades. Stephanie Link, what do you got? 
TJX, an outstanding quarter. The stock should be up 10 percent. They beat on earnings. They beat on gross margins by 300 basis points. Yep. Home goods is on fire. Nice. And the stock is up 4 percent on the year. So I think it's catch up. John Najarian. MRO, Marathon, bought the stock Ooh. during the show. Oh, OK. Interesting. Holy Joe cow. T. Joe T. Jim is so Jim is so right on Honeywell. I own it. You buy it here, even though it's pulling back. All right, Jim, you got 15 seconds. Leave us with a thought. Yes, yeah, some fascist downgraded Honeywell. I think the waste manager. This is, believe it or not, <laughs> people are recycling again. In newspapers, West Rock, West Waste Management. Wow, it's making it on the back end. All right, we take a quick uh, look at stocks uh, on our way out here. S and P's in positive territory. Keep our eye on things that are happening on Wall Street. That does it for us. See exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.